Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Gene Signorini, and I'm excited for today's episode. Today's guest is the Chief Operating Officer and glue for functions that span the operations at EVS. He began his career in high-tech enterprise systems at Hewlett-Packard while still an undergrad, and later spent time working for IBM Global Services and Xerox Global Services before returning to graduate school for his MS from the University of Denver's Daniels College of Business. Today, I'd like to welcome President and COO at EVS, Scott Cameron, to the program. Scott, really appreciate you joining us today. Eugene, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited for today's conversation. I know you guys are doing some really exciting things at EVS, kind of rethinking the frontline worker experience. One of the things we like to start with on these programs is just to kind of frame some of the issues that the deskless workforce, frontline workforce, whatever you want to call them, are facing today. So what do you think, or what do you see as the biggest challenge facing the frontline workforce today? Yeah. Well, obviously it's everyone having too many uh, usernames and passwords. I think <laughs> I think that that's a problem everybody encounters. That's right. The start of it. But all kidding aside, I think the reality is, is that people are struggling with software that was built to accommodate business process, but wasn't built to accommodate people. And so that was one of the problems that, uh, that we set out to solve with our, with our product. So talk a little bit about that. What do you mean by built for process? And how do you feel that it's not really, or these solutions, these applications are not really designed for the people who are supposed to be using? Sure. Let me give an example. So I think the way, uh, you know, somehow we've evolved with technology is that in order for us to be really good at our job, in order for us to master our job, we have to be really good at all the software tools that we use. But the thinking should be made perhaps the other way around. Our tools should make us better at the job, not having to, to master it the other way around. So typically speaking, you know, when you get engineers together, there's to build software uh, to accommodate a business function, there's a lot of engineering and not a lot of design necessarily. So you're bringing process without a lot of questions and you're just building the boxes and the checks and the tools to do that process. But you're forgetting about that there's, it's not just the software and filling in those boxes and the checks, but it's the people that are actually utilizing it. And how can you make those people more efficient and better at their jobs with the software? Yeah. One of our previous guests, Jen McComas from IBM, kind of used this phrase. I think she said, you know, we tend to do technology to people instead of with them. And, you know, it's, it's very interesting. You kind of mentioned the word tool, right? When we think about a tool, it's something that's supposed to help us do our jobs. But, you know, I think you're kind of reflecting the thing that, that we've seen often, which is we're kind of building applications and solutions to a list of business requirements rather than a list of needs for those end users to help them become more efficient, more effective in whatever they need to do. Right. Exactly. So talk a little bit about EVS. So, you know, there's 
probably folks on the call listening in who aren't familiar with EVS. And I'd love to hear about what you guys are doing there to kind of you know, solve this problem. Yeah, definitely. So EVS, we've been around for about 20 years in the manufacturing and distribution enterprise software space. So basically what that means is if you're your business that's making things and uh, distributing them, we're the software that enabled some of those more advanced functionality and features, extended that into the ERP. So to answer the question as far as what we're doing to, to help the frontline workers, you know, seven years ago, we set out, we said, okay, we're going to build our next iteration, our next software. What is it that we want to do? So we decided that really our highest value, we thought, to the workforce was actually going to be in distribution. That's really where you have the mobile devices, the scan guns and whatnot. So we ended up divesting from the manufacturing side. We sold that to Infor and to another company. Uh, and we really focused on warehouse management. So we wanted to build our third iteration, our third product. So we called it MOB3, Mobile 3. And we decided instead of just enhancing what we had and taking what everyone else was doing and trying to build a better mousetrap, we said, no, from the day one, let's start with the philosophy is we're the end user. What do we want to do? How do I enjoy my day better with this tool? Not just, gosh, I got to learn it and and train on it and master it so that I can be a little bit better at my job. So that was the philosophy. And what was kind of interesting, you know, uh, there's a story of the the Semmering Railway that connected uh, Vienna and Venice, and it was a very, very steep part of the Alps. And they actually built the railway before there was even a train that could go up the railways. And we did the same thing with this. We looked at, uh, we started with, with the design and the human factor, and we looked at a bunch of hardware. And one of the problems in warehouses, you have these, these large guns, whether it's you know Honeywell or Motorola or not, and you know 58 keys and you know small screens. And when we were talking about it and we're looking at our phones, our smart devices, thinking, gosh, this is a so much better experience than these, these big guns that we're forcing everyone to use and having to do, you know, function F7, up, down, A, B, A, B, left, right, enter to get to a screen. That's just not very, not built for the human. So when we uh, approached this design problem, we looked at, we started with hardware and back to the, the Semmering Railway, we actually decided that looking at everything from costs to security, usability, uh, form factor, reliability, Apple iOS devices were the, the hardware choices. So that was the railway. The, the, the train that wasn't yet built were the enclosures and the laser scanners and the form factors for these, these handheld computers to exist in a, uh, in a warehouse. And in fact, Gardner told us at the time when we told them what we were doing, we're building a world-class industrial strength warehouse tool for the frontline workers in an Apple device. They laughed at us. They said, you guys are crazy. More recently, several months ago, we had another vendor briefing with them and they told us that we actually had made the right decision. And and Apple is actually, we are a, a partner of Apple's in this, in the enterprise space. So we've had a lot of success in starting the design process with the human factor, what tools were available, and selecting the Apple hardware as the basis for uh, the tool. We then moved into things like, okay, what is the way to reduce some training? And we were sitting in a room at actually at a, at a customer site when they're training and they all had their guns down. This is before Mode 3 Legacy. And they, they were all on their smartphones, doing their things, tapping away, you know, making their communications and thinking, gosh, like... Here they are spending days learning how to use this this old school brick 
for their WMS. And but look, everyone shows up day one, they already know how to use the smart device. So we wanted to build those natural fluid movements and quick searches and, and taps of the screen and whatnot to incorporate that into our enterprise product so that they show up day one already knowing the fundamentals of how to navigate and look and, and operate the software. Yeah, I think you've kind of alluded to this concept of you know thinking about it from the human perspective. Is that what you kind of saw missing in the other solutions? Because you said, you know, we thought we we really, you know, looked at distribution, you know, in the warehouse where people were using mobile devices. Is that what you believed was missing in the existing solutions in the market that it wasn't kind of human centric, if you will? Yeah. And in fact, what what spawned that, we were at actually a Gardner IT Expo one time, and there was a great speaker telling a story about BlackBerry to iPhone. And he pointed out, you know, and at the time, Blackberries were very, very popular in enterprise, and iPhones were very early to the scene, but were gaining a lot of attraction. And what he pointed out was, he said, well, let's look at this, this BlackBerry device that everyone loved, the businesses were buying, that they were building businesses around. I uh, say, for example, let's take a look at this keyboard. You know, this keyboard with all these little keys on, itty bitty keys. And he says, my finger doesn't work on those keys. My finger touches three or four at a time. And so it was with that same thinking that we, that we used in, in building our product that we want this product to be used by humans, by the frontline workers, by folks coming into work and not having to relearn how to be a human or how do I make this finger touch a tiny itty bitty little key. So that was a, a part of our design philosophy. You know, how do you go about that process then really kind of understanding you know, how these frontline workers, you know, want to use it. Go back to that first point you made at the beginning of our discussion, which is, you know, we're trying to provide them, you know, make the technology work for them instead of the other way around, right? So how do you kind of work with your customers or, you know, your your prospects to kind of understand, okay, this really is something that is usable for these workers that's going to empower them versus something that, you know, it's just kind of the old way of doing things, which is kind of here's all the boxes, like you said earlier, that we've got to check that needs to be in this application. Yeah, great question. So in the design process, we don't want to take require functional requirements as it relates to individual little micro tasks. We want to understand what is the job you're trying to accomplish. Let's we'll pick on loading a truck, for example. Okay. Okay. So a customer might tell you, well, first we, we scan this and then we have to know what's on this palette and then we have to check against the sheet and we do this QA process over here and it has to do da, 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 da. And then if it matches all that, then we have to scan it here, load it to the truck, scan it here and then do that. Now go ahead and build software to do that. And so the reality of it is, is they're trying to move an item from the dock door onto the truck. And there's, there's a few things they want to capture, some pieces of data they want to capture along the way. So when we understand what the end goal is, we can reverse engineer the best way. How do humans operate, right? Do you really want to be walking back and forth between five things at once? Does it make a lot of sense to, when you're getting ready to move a heavy pallet, to have your gun out and then start doing some small motor functions uh, before you do it or, or, or maybe even during? No. So we want to dissect that and say, okay, now we understand what needs to happen. Uh, we understand all those pieces. Let's reverse engineer it. And how fluidly can we make it? the software accommodate the, the human functions that need to happen. Yeah, it's really interesting because, the, you know, as you're describing it, I'm thinking these processes that have just evolved over time, right? They almost take a, a life of their own, 
right? And so people think that, okay, the process itself is the job, right? Instead of, as you termed it, the end goal, right? So what does the worker need to accomplish, right? What do they really need to do at the end of the day? And let's kind of, you know, almost streamline that process down to its, to its bare minimum, if you will. Right. No, that's exactly right. And because oftentimes people are very granular in their jobs. They understand all the check marks and they think about things from how we've always done it, but they don't always question why, right? You get those five whys. And a lot of times you could probably eliminate a lot of the steps that are being done, or perhaps those steps are actually happening already, you know, upstream and you're just duplicating efforts, or they can happen in another part of the process that will be more fluid. So it's good to understand the whole process and really understand the end goal and how you can accommodate that without having to, at a micro level, just build software and functionality to deal with every little checkbox. Are you fighting an uphill battle here with when you're talking to a prospect? Are you trying to kind of, do you find that there's really kind of an education mode that, that comes at this? Because I'm even thinking, I'm an, on one hand, you're talking about, okay, we've got to really rethink about how you approach you know, app design or your, your process. You know, and then at the same time, you've kind of zigged where everybody else is zagged, right? Which is you're focused on iOS, right? You're focused more on quote unquote consumer grade versus in, you know, ruggedized or, or purpose-built devices. What's been the receptivity or reluctance, if you will, among your, your customers? Great question. The reluctance is, is that they sometimes see the, you know, it's a beautiful in- interface, very easy to use. And they think, oh gosh, this must be a toy. In fact, one customer, when we were in that sales cycle with him, and they ultimately purchased it, and they're a larger customer, they're about a billion dollars in revenue, and they some pretty sophisticated operations. Their director of IT that was a part of the evaluation process uh, said, everything you're showing us, everything you're saying, is, it's, it's too good to be true. It can't possibly work. And so we ended up going into a proof of concept with them prior to being selected to validate that actually... Enterprise software and uh, software that we're using in industrial workplaces doesn't have to be uncomfortable. It doesn't have to be ugly. It doesn't have to be burdensome for the, for the end user in order for it to be industrial grade and, and, and get done what needs to get done. In fact, even get done better. In line with that challenge was the hardware. So the software is beautiful. Gosh, it must be a toy. Well, okay, we can prove that that's not the case. And then they say, well, these, these iPhones, you know, oh gosh, my, my kid has an iPhone and they're, there's just a kid. They, in a warehouse, it's going to be, you know, destroyed. Well, that's actually quite the opposite. In fact, the hardware that Apple chooses from this, the screens to the batteries, you know, chipsets, everything is so much higher quality that, you know, they spend billions of dollars a year in research and development. In fact, they spend more in research and development, factors of more than any of the competition have an annual revenues. So they're making a better product. They're making a better handheld computer. And for us, it wasn't, are you Android or your Windows or your Apple? It was, there's nothing political about our decision. It was, what is the highest quality handheld computer? And currently it's the, the Apple, the iOS devices. So the challenge that we faced was thinking, okay, that, well, this is a, it's a joke. This is a toy. It needs you know, the ruggedized cases and whatnot. So we can actually, with you know, one of our partners is Cognex. So with the Cognex enclosures and the long-range scanners for somewhere two-thirds to half the price of a, of a traditional gun you'd have in the warehouse, we have a modern, high-quality handheld computer with all the long-range scanning that will outperform anything else out there. I have a really good story for you, Eugene. We have a customer 
who does a lot of dry goods blending for nutritional supplements. And these dry powder rooms are incredibly toxic for electronic devices, right? This powder gets into everything. And they had these very high-end scan guns previously that were, when I say high-end, they were about $3,000 a piece and they were purpose-built for this environment. And after about every year to year and a half, they'd have to get replaced. Dust would get in them through the keys, whatever the case was. And then they went to our solution using iPhones and they didn't even actually have a case on the iPhone. And here we are four years later and they're still using the original hardware. So it's not logical to think that, well, my, my child has this phone and they play their Candy Crush games on it or whatnot. It, it can't be a, this won't survive an industrial environment. Well, to the contrary, they actually are really, really reliable. And you put a, an enclosure on it and you have your IP64 ratings, you know, they're already, you know, waterproof. You have a really high quality gun. So, but that was one of the, the, the challenges we had to overcome in the marketplace. One of the other things, Scott, you know, outside of the, you know, just kind of changing that mindset of, okay, is this enterprise grade, right? We've been using these other technologies for a long time. One of the things that we have noticed, right, that, you know, we talk about digital transformation and innovation. And one of the things that we have encountered is that, you know, a lot of the things holding companies back is just the, the complexity and the, maybe the overall organizational anxiety when it comes to introducing anything new, right? From a technology and process standpoint, you know, it's the classic change management issues that kind of arise. And it could be both from, okay, you know, the company with a capital C, right? Saying, you know, this is a huge initiative, right? This is, you know, our distribution centers, our warehouses, our core to our business, right? If we don't do this right, we've got massive issues, right? And while we're doing it, right, there's bound to be, you know, things that that happen that you know disrupt our operations. So how do you kind of help your customers realize that no, this is the hump we can get over together? And what's kind of driving them, I guess, to say, okay, we've got to do this? Yeah. Well, really good questions. And you, you touch on a topic that's near and dear to me, and that's organizational change management, which is really a, a study on its own. And no matter how good the software is or how attractive the hardware is, for the frontline workers, it can't replace the need to have a proper organizational change process in place for, for transition in the business. I have a story to tell about from a um, previous career when they were rolling out some software and the project in, in that this company had rolled out software before. Every time they do it, it's problems, headache. People have to end up working a lot harder than they did before this technological improvement. And so you get a lot of resistance. And so when they were rolling out this project, it was a failed project. And when they were doing the postmortem on it to figure out what went wrong, it wasn't that they had selected the wrong software. And in this case, it was, a, it was an ERP system that they were rolling out. What the problem was is their workforce were terrified of another <laughs> project that they were going to look like the failures in. So they were not engaged in, in training. Uh, they were very quick to point out any problems and flaws in the software. They weren't motivated to resolve it. They wanted the project to be a failure because they didn't want to be a failure themselves. And organizational change management would have uncovered that. Hey, we have a lot of resistance to rolling things out because in the past, it's been difficult. It's made me look bad. Or there's, there was another case, another part of the company where they all they kept hearing is, this is going to make us more efficient, more efficient, more efficient. 
And some of the people decided, gosh, there's 10 of us that might lose our jobs. We're going to be so efficient. We, they're not going to need us anymore. And so they were derailing the project intentionally to, uh, to make sure that they had a job. So organizational change management is a great tool, and there's no supplement for it to be able to understand how technology is going to be working with people and process. Great technology, great user experience and, and screens and hardware, that alone does not solve the problems of organizational change. Yeah, we often talk about, you know, the people are that last link of the chain, right? And it's if any part of the chain, any link of the chain is broken, then you're not going to be successful. And, you know, it's interesting when you talk about this resistance from the field. And I think what you're kind of talking about is this anxiety and this fear, right? And that's something that we see often too. And it has roots in in many different things, right? It could, as you said, be like, listen, this is new technology. I'm going to have to learn this technology. It's going to change my job, right? What if it doesn't go well? We're going to be the ones who are going to look bad. And then you talked about that fear of, okay, does this, is this going to be, you're replacing us, you know, at some point, which I think are all, you know, valid, you know, anxieties that frontline workers have that we don't necessarily acknowledge. I think we look at that resistance at times just as, Hey, these guys don't want to change, right? But it's not that they're it's rooted in in something else. What's been your experience as you've kind of brought your technology to the to the frontline workforce? What's kind of been your experience there? Yeah. Well, there's a terminology uh, that a lot of people are probably familiar with called gamification, right? So in other words, hey, there's a there's a point system you're getting uh so we take some of the metrics that we see in warehouses, whether it's, you know, picks per hour or, you know, you know, lines picked or shipped and, and efficiencies, quality. There's all types of metrics and KPIs that the businesses use. And the ability to see your results live in real time, even against other, you know, your colleagues, what we find is we find a lot of folks are, are, are get into it. Uh, a lot of people want to be efficient. They want the pat on the back. They want to look good. They want to be able to, you know, uh, shine. And with, you know, in the past, you know, if you don't have those metrics or you have them, you know, at the end of the month or after the fact or whatever the case is, it's not, it cannot, it's not always motivating, right? If you don't have it at all, why should you, you know, work harder than the next guy? So one of the things that we've seen in, in overcoming some of these challenges is, you know, the gamification, the metrics, being able to kind of, hey, show how, how folks are, are, are doing. Another piece of it is, is that there is a much lower barrier to entry. When people see an iPhone, they're like, whoa, hey, that's an iPhone in that scanning device here. Oh, I know how to use this. It's not like they, uh, you know, they know how to log in. They know how to navigate screens. They know how to do a quick search. They understand the keyboard. It's amazing how fast. And when they, when the frontline workers get something in their hand and they're able to intuitively navigate, right? You can't remember everything. And and it's hard to train on everything. So when you can connect those dots as an employee using the software, if the software is making you better at your job because you can connect those dots, you don't have to be an A student in the training lab, uh, the adoption is really high and people, people get into it. And uh, when they realize that there is a, a great gain in efficiency and performance, and by the way, your boss or bosses are seeing you know, how you're doing and how well you're doing, there's a lot of adoption. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, you talked about that familiarity with the technology, right? And I bring that back to that lowering the anxiety right off the bat, which is I'm seeing something that is familiar to me, right? Instead of stepping into, you know, a device or software or something that looks very foreign to me. And I think that certainly is a, is a critical aspect to kind of saying, okay, 
Now we've lowered your anxiety, right? There's things that are intuitive to you. And back to your kind of change management concept, it makes it easier for us now to kind of fill in the gaps, if you will, in their comfort level and knowledge, right? And, you know, the other thing is, you know, bringing it back to that point you made at the beginning, which is, I think once these, you know, your frontline workers understand that, hey, this is actually going to make my job easier, right? I'm not, they're not giving me technology just because they need a whole bunch of data, right? But it is actually making my job easier. That is a huge hurdle overcome. Yeah. Yeah. Making their job easier and as well as leveling up, right? If you were before, if you're now having technology that is able to route your pick path, let's say in a warehouse, and I can now pick, you know, an extra 20 picks per hour, just because I'm being routed efficiently and things are getting ordered or now using wave picking or whatnot. As a worker, I mean, that feels great. All of a sudden, hey, I'm doing the same effort. I'm now just more efficient. So that's something that we strive for in everything that we are doing. I think that's a great segue to this concept we hear often about, right? Which is future of work. And I think a lot of notions, companies thinking about future work has has obviously changed pretty dramatically in the last 18 months. And particularly in the segment with Juicerve, right? Warehousing, distribution, obviously much greater demand, right? For a lot of things and much more pressure on those operations to become more efficient. And on the other hand, you have, you know, kind of a scarcity on the labor side of, of things, right? So people are being asked to do more with, with less, right? The, the old cliche. How have you seen that kind of affect your customers and kind of rethink things and maybe say, okay, this is demanding a better way to do things? Yeah, that's a great question. And we see this a lot. One of our customers in Tennessee, Tennessee has become a big warehousing location, geography for lots of reasons, but there's a lot of warehouses popping up and you can be driving down a road and you'll see signs up, you know, warehouse labor, $16 an hour, a block later, warehouse, $17 an hour, $16.50. And they're all competing with each other. It's like gas prices. Where are you going to, where are you going to go get your job? And sometimes the, the labor force is season, seasonal, right? You have a lot of seasonality in certain types of warehousing and operations. And but it's hard to attract workers. Now, when you uh, are you know, training and people have a choice, right? Hey, I can go make 50 cents an hour extra at this, this other place down the road. If I don't like my boss or they're stringent on their break times or their warehouse is too cold or whatever the case may be, they just pick up and go because it doesn't matter. And one of the things that they can pick up and go is if they have a hard time getting their job done. If they're using software that takes three weeks to get trained on. And even then, when you're first using it, you have to keep calling your supervisor over to help you with this or that and override, or I don't know what that error means. You're not going to want to work at that warehouse. So we've a lot of the feedback we've gotten from our customers, particularly in the areas that are highly competitive, has been that, hey, we're able to retain workforces, even if they can make a buck an hour more someone else. They like working here because they're going back to, let's say, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Self-actualization. If you're really good at your job and you're feeling that you're contributing and it's flowing really well and there's not a lot of grind to it, and our, we believe that our software helps the frontline worker experience that, people stay. They're not likely to go. Or having this WMS, having this tool that you're using eight hours a day or more, that is really easy to adopt, very fluid. You already come mostly trained on using it. That's a job you're going to want to take. So it gives people a competitive advantage in the uh, in the workforce as well as bringing efficiency. 
Yeah. I mean, you talk about one aspect of that retention, right? I think people are expecting, right, that technology is a part of their job, right? And it's a, it's a crucial part of what they do. The flip side of that also is, is you know, you got retention on one hand and the other, you've got kind of new employee onboarding, right? And this concept of like time to value, right? How do we get employees up to speed quicker as well? I imagine that's a, a core value proposition for, you know, for what your guys are selling to your customers. Yeah, no, indeed. And I have a great story on this. And I don't recommend this approach that the customer <laughs> in this case missed out on organizational change management. But someone along the way thought that it would be an inefficient use where productivity would go down to have training, right? They had, they had a workforce of about 150 people working in three different warehouse facilities. And to have 150 people training, it was going to affect their, their picking numbers for the day even though I think it was scheduled over a couple of days. So they decided, hey, the first time they're going to see this product is at go live. Okay? So this is, a, uh, uh, this is a great story from the enterprise standpoint, because so from the first day of go live to about three days later, they're about 20% more efficient with zero training going into it. Typically, an organization, you know, when you implement a new enterprise software, oh man, is it's, it- you know, yeah, productivity curve is down. Then you want to gain afterwards. But normally you're going to have weeks of, hey, working out the bugs. I didn't realize this. Training, people getting caught up to speed, the human element of it. And it was just remarkable. I remember, gosh, I was like, this is, you know, how did this happen? How did this? And literally three days later, they're 20% ahead of where they were uh, going into it efficiency-wise. So it's amazing that now that doesn't replace organizational change management. There's some challenges they had to deal with there as well. but to do that with another technology or an older technology or one that's not built for the frontline worker to be successful, it would have been a, a real problem. Yeah. They, they, it sounds like they got a little lucky as well with, uh, with that, but certainly your solution probably had a lot to do with making it very easy to adopt. Blatant plug for my company, Skillful, but you know, we actually believe, you know, one of the things we believe is along the lines of thinking about things differently you know, with technology and with, you know, designing it for the workers is the same thing on training, right? I think part of the challenge that companies are facing is just an antiquated approach, not only to the technology or thinking about the design of technology, but thinking about some of those change management elements. So I think you, I'm glad you you kind of brought that up as as an example. So Scott, one of the things I'd love to kind of switch this around a little bit, change up a little bit, because, you know, one of the, the topics that we like to explore for our audience, many of them may be disruptors or innovators in their own organization. Many of them are aspiring, right, to be the innovators in their organization. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your path to to where you are and and how you got got here. Especially in you know you you've kind of gone from a couple of very large you know established companies to a company that's trying to be a disruptor itself in a fairly you know old school market. You know, so how did you kind of wind up where you are and what, what made you passionate about solving these challenges? Yeah, well, from my, my personal background, my, my father was always in the, in the design side of things. And so I was always enamored with, with the process and he was in the, in, the, in the furnishing side of things. And so I loved, he was always pointing out, oh, look at the way that hinge works. So look at this, all these little details that you just totally, you know, don't, don't give any credit to or you don't even recognize that all this thought that went into it. 
And so I, I saw the same thing. So I got a lot of great training at, you know, particularly, you know, my, my long tenure at IBM and great exposure to all sorts of, you know, technologies and people and process and how businesses operate. And so when I came to EVS, I saw a company that was 13 years ago, had a great product, really, you know, amazing list of customers, helping people do things. And I thought there's a lot of room for innovation here. And I felt like I really want to take my crack at it. I wanted to help be a part of designing that hinge that no one even knew, but it really makes that whole piece come together and work a whole lot better. What I like about design is when you take a very complicated concepts and difficult problems to solve, and you do it eloquently. On the, on the personal side, one of my hobbies is, is aviation. I'm also a pilot. And you're dealing with, you know, when you're from the outside, if you get outside the airship, outside the aircraft, and you see a plane take off and fly around and land, it can, you know, if it's done correctly, it can look very eloquent, very, really nice. And a lot of what's going on inside the cockpit, you've got a lot of gauges, there's a lot of instruments, there's a lot of technology you're, you know, in today's cockpit that you're, that you're dealing with. And especially if you're in complex airspaces, and you're talking with other uh, ATC and aircraft and whatnot, all these rules and, and, but to take it and to, to perform it well and to make it look comfortable and nice and safe, it takes a lot of work in that. So that is what I wanted to do at EVS. And that is something that, that we do well as a company. We take these very complicated operations and we want to make it as easy and as efficient and as enjoyable for those that are, that are doing it uh, as possible. You know, it's really interesting you mentioned your your hobby of flying and it just made me think as you were kind of talking about that which is you know you you have all these gauges you have all this information that needs to be at a pilot's disposal right but at the same point going back to your what's the end goal of this right that you know in in a cockpit the technology can't get in the way right i mean it can't get in the way so i imagine that must kind of influence your thinking pretty greatly because you are you know somebody who is you know, surrounded by, in an aircraft, some of the most complicated and advanced technology, but at the same point, it can't get in your way of flying the plane. No, that, that's right. And so when you, when you need a piece of information, you need the fewest steps to be able to find it, right? Whether that's in, in you know, interpret, interpreting what's happening on the instruments or whether you're actually going to a tool. Uh, there's a lot of tools in, in the cockpit these days. You can go to find various pieces of information outside your, your, your gauges. And you want to be able to find that in the least amount of steps, right? You want, as always, uh, they say, you know, you want to lower the burden on the, uh, the workload on the, on the pilot. And it's the same thing in, in the workforce and with our software. We want to lower the burden of the frontline worker. We want to design software so that the burden is on the design side of it, not on the end user to work their way and struggle through poorly designed screens and functions. Yeah. And that's, you know, a, one of those, as I said, I think you go back and when you think about design and, and software, we've all experienced different degrees of frustration with the software that we use and whatnot. And I think a lot of it's just, you know, it's almost you know, a, a hereditary issue, right? Is things get built and then things get changed. And then, you know, you're kind of just adding complexity without realizing that you're adding complexity instead of stepping back and saying, what do we really need to see? Like you said, right. You know, and how do we get that information in the most efficient way possible to whoever needs it? Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. And it, it's a challenge and it's something that happens daily. As the, as the software evolves and uh, you bring in more modules, we're getting ready to release a, uh, a new module, 
you know, tying back to the Apple ecosystem, it's called Warehouse Live. And so for the first time ever, you're able to see inside your warehouse where your, your folks are. At that moment, you can see heat maps of their travel, of distance travel. You can see, you know, go back and replay a day. Uh, how can I optimize my warehouse? Well, the, one of the first things you need to know is, well, what are you doing? Where's your starting point? And what's really cool about this technology is that it actually is, it doesn't require additional infrastructure like Bluetooth beacons or, or mesh networks. It's really just operates off your existing Wi-Fi network. And because of the, uh, the Apple design, uh, your accuracy is as high as three centimeters. So it's, it's really impressive. And so with this technology, we're, we're doing the same thing. Now, all of a sudden, we're giving information that is not typically a part of a warehouse management solution. And how can we eloquently include that in the design of our product? So warehouse managers, operators, and frontline workers are able to, to leverage that to, to help their day better, not just be gimmicky about it. So, but every day, back to the point, there's, there's new challenges in design, and we really have to put ourselves in the shoes of the frontline workers and be the frontline workers. Uh, in fact, our, our, uh, in our R&D department, we spend a lot of time at our customers' facilities working, actually, with a gun and, and doing functions so we know what it, what it feels like and uh, what they're going through and how we can make it a better, more enjoyable experience for them. Yeah. So literally, you know, kind of putting yourselves in their shoes. I think that's a, that's, that's great. We always used to say, Justin Lake, our, our co-founder and CEO and I always, you know, you just talk about our previous business, which was an app design business. So you can't design solutions from a boardroom. Right. And I think that's absolutely critical. You know, you've spent many years now, like I have in technology and technology companies and have seen it all kind of come and go, I imagine. And probably, maybe I'm making an assumption, but like me, there are things you love about it and things you hate. So I'm going to ask you, what is it that you love about working in technology? And what is it that you you hate or you dislike? Yeah. What I love is I love being able to solve a problem in a reproducible way, right? So software typically enables that, that reproducibility of it because one of the things that you're doing is that you're not just solving a problem for a person, you're solving a problem for an industry. And that problem, the magnitude of that solution is just expanded with, with software, right? So it's, uh, you know, if, if it's one little problem, I'm saving five seconds on this transaction. Well, that transaction, the reality of it is that might be 30 million transactions that we've saved five seconds. We've made the operations of these companies in our economy that much more efficient. So that is something that I love. Something that I really dislike are the biases sometimes that, that you get. And you know, I, I pointed out before in an ecosystem, we're sometimes in sales cycles and people will say, nope, we're not going to have Apple equipment in our, uh, in our warehouse. That's just not uh, industrial grade. And it, it actually has nothing to do with any facts. It, it's just a, it's a personal bias and it's hard to overcome that because that, you know, there's some, obviously some organizational change management parts of it, but you're not going to change someone's, you know, religious, spiritual, political beliefs or whatnot. And sometimes people, this, this Android Apple thing sometimes becomes just that. So when you come across those situations and you see a facility and frontline workers in a business where you know that you could have a really positive impact on their environment. And then you have an individual or two who are have a, have a bias and they're just not interested in anything other than 
reaffirming their bias. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I always think about it. There's almost like a religious fervor as you, you know, or religious dedication to certain technologies as you describe. I spent, you know, a dozen years as an industry analyst in previous in my career. You know, and one of the things you notice is this reluctance for technology and it hits and then there's an inflection point and things just tend to change so rapidly after that. I remember even when we think about cloud computing, which is just a given now, right? Or software as a service. I would say software as a service. I remember this, where it's just this insistence that this is never going to work, right? Companies just going to want to have this stuff on-prem. There's no way they're going to put this in somebody else's data center. There's just no way. And now we look at that as, well, that was a completely antiquated notion. That was a complete you know, misprediction, right? From the part of, of some folks to, to poo-poo it. So I would agree with you on that one, right? There's this frustration, but you know, I think part of the excitement that I'm sure you're experiencing, which is the opportunity, and we talk about this, the name of the podcast, Frontline Innovators, which is the opportunity to be disruptive, but to be disruptive for positive change for for companies and industries. Yeah, no, indeed, and you know, on, on your example on cloud computing, that is something that we also, you know, come across. We are a cloud-based solution. And there's not a lot on the industrial and the enterprise side. I mean, there's certainly becoming, you know, NetSuite. There's certainly become a little bit more prevalent, SAP, Forhana. But, you know, when I was uh, earlier on in my career at IBM, I was actually uh, in the commercial hosting side, the e-business side, and we had a lot of financial customers. And when 9-11 happened, and they were just starting to move some of their systems into, you know, e-business, into, you know, cloud at the time, it was really more data centers, uh, offsite data centers. There was a big shift in, in the industry uh, when that happened, and that was an inflection point, I believe, for moving things not, things not being on-premise. And so what we're seeing, we're seeing a very similar inflection point with technology. There is an adoption, and you are seeing more and more and more iOS-based, Apple-based products out there that everyone's getting on board with. And so part of it is, is that they realize, hey, gosh, actually, it's some good stuff. It's not, you know, some, some dogma, you know, Apple, whatnot. Uh, it's, it's actually good hardware. And so it's pretty interesting to see that. Now, we've overcome the cloud thing for the most part, now overcoming some of the other hardware misconceptions people have. And now with apps, you know, frontline innovators these days, it's sometimes hard to say, hey, we have a better way of doing things. And it comes looking really clean and really slick. And it really can be industrial strength and, and look beautiful as well. Yeah, this is great. Well, Scott, this has been a, a wonderful conversation. Really appreciate you spending the time today. And I really love your perspective, understanding what you guys are doing over at EVS, particularly when it comes to really kind of rethinking technology for those frontline employees. So Scott, really thanks again for your time. And I'm sure our audience uh, is appreciative of your, your insights as well. No, listen, I, I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to speak with you and, uh, and love these conversations. This is, this is how we get better. So. And I'm sure if, if folks want to reach out, they can do so on LinkedIn, right? It's um, Scott Cameron. That's with a K. So it's K-A-M-E-R-O-N. And then again, that's EVS uh, Software. And your, the website is www.evssw.com, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And uh, if anyone would like to uh, reach out with me and uh, you know, talk warehousing or uh, innovations, whatnot, I'd uh, love, to, love to hear from you. Great. Thanks again, Scott. And I hope everyone listening has found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. If so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure 
that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. And a reminder, this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. You can visit our website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. See you on our next episode. 